thank you all so much. I am so grateful to be here. I always tell my friends and family whenever I'm coming here just to give the word because it honestly feels like when you are at a cookout and your favorite cousin shows up and you're like, yes, I knew this was going to be a good time. That's the way I feel coming to Access Covenant. So thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate you all, and it's always good to see your faces. Uh, kind of like what Pastor Joel alluded to earlier, before I jump into our text today, I know that all of us are sitting alongside of our Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, not only with the atrocity that took place earlier this week, but also with the erasure of the very real discrimination and pain that our brothers and especially our sisters have experienced throughout history, especially here in America. And just knowing that racism and misogyny is a consistently traumatizing experience and horrific acts like the shooting in Atlanta bring moments of unspeakable despair and fear and isolation. Know that you are seen, know that you are not alone, know that you are valued and that your intrinsic worth, dignity and integrity are not defined by these dark and violent moments in our history, amen? Amen. Amen. So before we get into our text, what I want to do is read it to you really quick. So if you have your Bibles or if you're like me, you just Google it. It's the judge. It's NIV. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, from Judges chapter 4, uh, 1 through 10, and then also 16 through 24. And so, you know, God bless us. There's many different pronunciations of these names. So I'm just going to go with God and all of them. Okay. So. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and now Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harashed Hagoim, because he had 900 chariots filled with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go. Take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because I of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. And then on to 16 through 24. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hegoim. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite, 
And because there was an alliance between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Haber, the Kenite, the Kenite, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Do not be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I am thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him as he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just as Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her. And there lay Sisera with the, the tent peg through his temple, dead. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let me tell you something. When I first read this, I was like, you know, people think that the Bible is boring. People always say, oh, I don't want to read the Bible. Oh, I fall asleep. Oh, I can't. When I read this, honestly, it was like a movie in my mind. I was like, oh, my goodness. And so whenever I tell my Christian friends, they're like judges. I mean, uh, same thing. And you go back and forth, whatever it is, you know, they're freed and then they're not freed. I'm like, no, there is a bunch of good stuff in the middle and you have got to read it. And so that is what I'm excited to bring to you today. So, as you know, we just acknowledged the anniversary of being in a pandemic, which has changed our lives in a pretty compressed, compressed amount of time. And before the pandemic, I had a pretty good routine going for myself, I must say. I think the thing I was proudest of was my workout routine. I was one of those folks who found what I like to do with exercise, and I stuck with it. And Lord knows, for me, that's pretty rare, if I'm being honest. And then the pandemic hit, and like many others, I started looking for ways to stay active, but at home. I figured I could loosely replicate what I had been doing at the gym, because that sounds easy enough, right? So I checked Target's website obsessively for weights to become available, and soon I was all set. And then I texted my best friend, Michelle, and I said, listen to me. Like I have my weights. I have my bands. This is going to be great. And then I didn't work out that week. And then I messaged Michelle again. And I said, it's a new week. Look out. I'm going to work out three times this week. And then maybe I work out twice a week if I was lucky. And I kept doing that for the better part of 2020. And if I'm being honest, into this year a little bit. So, you know, it just is what it is. And this didn't just happen with working out. I tried new hobbies like trying to braid my own hair. And if you look in the closet, you will see the hair extensions from that failed pet project. So just know that that's something that I'm fully admitting to you as, you know, family. And then my capacity diminished, which I know a lot of us have started feeling again as we hit the pandemic wall. It's that feeling of trying to cope by being a version of the person you used to be, only to find out that that's not working at all. And in 2019, up until now, it's been a season of some bumpy personal growth for me, which has allowed me to look at 
spiritually and emotionally unhealthy habits that do not serve me. And due to this healing process, I also began to face some generational trauma. And quick spoiler alert, I'm a black woman. And when you are a woman of color, you are given what I call a shield or a cloak of ancestral knowledge, right? So some of it is heartfelt, like passing down recipes or ways to respect one's elders. And other parts of it are survival mechanisms that, while seemingly effective and well-intentioned, come at a cost. The need to work twice as hard, normalizing exhaustion, always reaching for the next thing, and uplifting others while not believing you are worthy of the same. All of us have inherited or picked up ideas that did not mix well with the call to be our most authentic selves. Maybe it's only me on Zoom this morning that's felt like this past year has trapped me in one large, seemingly never-ending cycle. You feel a shift you cannot explain. You aren't who you once were, but you also are not the person you were called to be. And my humble suggestion this morning is that to experience the liberation of being all you can be, you must first cry out to God. This is where we find Deborah in the book of Judges. To give some context, the book of Judges is an episodic account of the history of the people of Israel from Joshua all the way to Samuel. And there's a recurring cycle that happens throughout. First, God's people think they're doing all right for, the, for themselves, and they just kind of turn away from God. They're like, we're good, we got this, we're, we're going to keep going. Then comes a period of oppression by their enemies. And the Israelites crowd to God for deliverance, and God subsequently raises up a judge to remind them that alignment with God will bring blessings and peace. And disobeying will, in the words of my elders, get you what you always got. So the first thing we see is that the Israelites have done evil yet again, and they are now under the oppressive rule of King Jabin of Canaan. The Israelites realize maybe this isn't the life they want to lead, and so they cry out for help. And God raises up Deborah, who in our current times be considered a quadruple threat. She's a prophet, a judge, a military leader slash deliverer, and a wife. We know that Deborah is a great leader because she is well respected by many and people come to her to settle disputes. Deborah is described as fiery, like a bee in peace in a wasp in war. I feel like we would have gotten along really well. I mean, I was already like, yes, count me in. Wherever Deborah's going, I'm going to go because God's going to be there and I want to take part. So she summons another military leader, Barak, and tells him to take 10,000 men up to Mount Tabor to take down King Jabin's army commander, Sisera. Barak says, I'll only go if you go. And Deborah says, fine, but know that the honor of taking out Sisera will now be in the hands of a woman. A Game of Thrones-like battle ensues where Sisera and Barak's men are fighting, and eventually Sisera flees when Barak gains the upper hand. He finds refuge in the tent of Jael, who is married to an ally of the king of Jabin. And there he is greeted warmly with hospitality and eventually falls asleep. And in a surprising turn of events, Jael kills Sisera in his sleep, leading to the defeat of King Jabin and peace for God's people for 40 years. And now that we have 
a lay of the land. Let's go back and look at four main characters because I believe they provide a map to experiencing liberation in our own lives. First, we have the Israelites as a whole. Now, when I first read the book of Judges, it was easy for me to condemn. I was thinking, good Lord, have we not been through this before? Don't you think someone would see Israel, Israel about to turn away from God yet again and say, hey, you know, we, we shouldn't do that. Remember what happened last time? That's when I was able to realize a parallel between the Israelites' ancestors and my own. You see, when you are descendants of an enslaved people, it's hard to exist in a state of liberation and peace. Church, if you have ever experienced any kind of trauma, it is hard to establish and believe that you're deserving of a new reality. Through God's repeated deliverance of the Israelites, he shows us that we are worthy of being of being forgiven and that no matter what we have done, no matter what we have been through, we are still his children. If you find that you have turned away from God, know that he is always chasing after you and that the first step is to call out. So that is number one with our Israelites. Step two can be found in Barak. Many interpret his decision to only go to battle with Deborah by his side as weak or that he was suspicious of her intentions. What I see is a man challenging the norms of his day by seeing the anointing God has placed over Deborah and recognizing that as indispensable. I see a man who accepted that the honor would not be his and he didn't throw a fit. He didn't degrade women and he did not let his ego get in the way of doing the task that God had appointed him to do. Barak teaches us that sometimes God communicates to us through other people. And we should not be ashamed to seek and abide in those relationships. Number three, see on me, but somebody say number three, I want to hear you, still on me. Number three, there we go. Number three is Deborah. She shows us, yes, there I heard it, I heard it, yes, thank you. She shows us what it looks like to be all we can be through right relationship with God and with other people. As the woman, Deborah takes the phrase, knowing her place, and turns it on its head. She harnesses her God-given power by understanding how her various esteemed roles exist to glorify God. And because of this, she cannot be stopped by the social constructs of her time. Because of her authority she received from God, she was able to lead with confidence and be an example to enslaved people of what it looks like to trust the deliverance that God provides. By living in her liberation, she empowered others to do, to do the same. And last, but certainly not least, is Jael, who we see commits a pretty gruesome act. However, if we, were, if we were just to stay there, we would miss the richness of her story. Jael is from the tribe of Kenites, who were thought to have a friendly relationship with the Israelites dating back to the times of Exodus. Given Jael's position in society, she was expected to provide hospitality to visitors. It would have been comfortable and safe for her to ignore God's call. Instead, she made use of the means she had to play a central role in restoring peace for the Israelites. 
Jail reminds us that at any point we can answer God's call and watch our circumstances change. So church, what does this story of liberation mean for us? It means that we know liberation in this life is a journey and not a destination. We expect our lives to be linear, but what we see here is that we make mistakes. Sometimes we can't shake our habits we've outgrown. We stay in relationships that we know are not good for us, or we self-sabotage when things start to go our way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated with myself when I make decisions that turn me away from God. For me, it led to shame, and I began to identify as my mistakes instead of a person who made a mistake. And this can lead to a narrow mindset when it comes to our belief and what God can do in our lives. A limited mindset can affect us all, and especially women. If we are not a certain shape, size, or skin color, if we're not married by a certain age, or have kids at a certain age, start a career, raise a family, be a loving spouse, we are somehow less than. And we start to look at our lives and measure it by this impossible rubric, and we start to feel inadequate to say the least, and this is further exacerbated being a woman of color. Growing up as a chubby, dark-skinned child, it felt as though I was the opposite of any standard of beauty. Watching my mother struggle as a single parent, I thought maybe I was destined to live a life of constant worry. Maybe I wasn't that bright, as my middle school social studies teacher hinted. Then that turned into maybe I couldn't get into that college or why isn't that person like me? I want to let you know that for the rest of my life, I will be in one scary yet glorious cycle of taking all the things that hold me back and giving them to God as I cry out for him. Slowly, I began to notice that every time I turned to God, he was already facing me. I gradually began to stand in the truth that if God deems me worthy, no one else can take that away. By beginning to heal myself, others in my family have started on their own journeys. The best part of our scripture today is that we can be any one of the people in it. To be jail is to know that being underestimated does not diminish your value in the eyes of God. We know that Sisera fled an army of men and fell safe with jail because it likely did not cross his mind that a woman would be the one to deliver victory to the Israelites. To be Deborah is to be unshakable in faith and to lead with conviction. To be Barak is to be wise enough to know when you cannot travel alone and even wiser to avoid dismissing those God places in your life because of their skin color, their gender, or their beliefs. Let us show God how much we love him by daring to love and heal ourselves, and in doing so, giving others the freedom to do the same. Let us be radical in embracing all that God has given us, whether that be our gift of analysis, our laughter, or the gap between our teeth. Or maybe as a woman, you've been told that you are too loud or bossy or feminine enough, not feminine enough. Embrace it all. 
Let us extend compassion as God does to each of us when we fall down yet again. Let us remember that every time we come back to God is another chance to experience liberation. My hope for all of us is that we recognize when it is time to cry out, that we open our hearts to those in our lives who seem like unlikely catalysts for holy transformation, and that we remember that our liberation is inextricably linked to our neighbors. I want to share this poem with you because it really resonated with me, especially in the past year and a half or so. I did not know his love before the way I know it now. I could not see my need for him. My pride would not allow. I had it all without a care, the self-sufficient lie. My path was smooth, my sea was still, not a cloud was in my sky. I thought I knew his love for me. I thought I'd seen his grace. I thought I did not need to grow. I thought I'd found my place. But then the way grew rough and dark. The storm clouds quickly rolled. The waves began to rock my ship. I found I had no hold. The ship that I had built for myself was made of foolish pride. It fell apart and left me bare with nowhere else to hide. I had no strength or no faith to face the trials that lay ahead. And so I simply spoke his name and bowed my weary head. His loving arms enveloped me, and then he helped me stand. He said, you still must face the storm, but I will hold your hand. So through the dark and lonely night, he guided me through pain. I could not see the light of day or when I'd smile again. Yet through the pain and endless tears, my faith began to grow. I could not see it at the time, but my light began to glow. I saw God's love in my brand new light, his mercy and grace too. For only when all self was gone could Jesus' love shine through. It was not easy in the storm. I sometimes wonder why. At times I thought I can't go on. I'd hurt and doubt and cry. But Jesus never left my side. He guided me each day. Through pain and strife, through fire and flood, he helped me all the way. And as I see near before, how great his love can be, how in my weakness he is strong, how Jesus cares for me. He worked it all out for my good, although the way was rough. He only sent what I could bear, and then he said, enough. He raised his hand and said, be still. He made the storm clouds ease. He opened up the gates of joy and flooded me with peace. I saw his face now clearer still. I felt his presence strong. I found anew his faithfulness. He never did me wrong. And now I know more storms will come, but only for my good. For pain and tears have helped me grow as nothing ever could. I still have so much more to learn as Jesus works in me. If in the storm, I'll love him more. That's where I want to be. Amen and amen. Thank you for having me.